Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Thanks for being here, guys. The day after Christmas, um, John just got a nice little smile, and I, I love it. Thanks, John. Thanks for the smile. Um, so we don't have bulletins today, so you don't have notes, but um, I'm planning on uh, giving those notes even just on Facebook afterwards. So if you go through it again, you can, can kind of see where I'm going with some of this stuff. Um, for a lot of people, the day after Christmas can be kind of a bummer. Um, the week after Christmas can be a bummer. I remember as a kid, and we talked about this in our community group last Sunday, you know, I got a, a gift that I just really didn't want to get, and I remember, like, just probably giving it back to my grandma. Like, I don't want this. This wasn't on my list. This isn't what I wanted. Did you, do you even know me? And just, like, disappointed, because Christmas is supposed to be this amazing, magical experience, and for some people, it, it's never, ever lived up to that. And it's the days after the holidays where, like, that feeling, that pit in your stomach of bummer can just be there. Because Christmas was supposed to be special, but it, maybe it wasn't. And you, maybe you slaved over food for a really long time, and you've got every Tupperware that you have is filled with leftovers because people didn't eat the food you made. And that's a disappointment. Or you're expecting family members to be there that didn't come, or there's loved ones who aren't here with you anymore. Christmas is amazing, and it can be a bummer when it doesn't live up to the expectation. So the question I ask is, what do you do with the, with the pit in your stomach when you reflect on the holiday season? What do you do with that where it's like, ah, it's not, it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. And then what do you do with that when that pit in your stomach remains and it's, you know, May and then it's July and you still, still feel like your expectations aren't met week by week and you get up for, for things and you're expecting them to be amazing and they just aren't. What do you do? What do you do with the feeling of want, the feeling of unfulfillment, the feeling that things haven't worked out and they're not going to work out? Melissa and I have this feeling, we have this, this word for this feeling, we call it gutty, just because you feel it in your gut, it's a pit in your stomach, and whenever things are going like awry in our home, we're like, I just feel gutty right now, I don't know why. Most of the time we say, I don't know why. It's like, well, what's going on? And I'm trying to be a good husband, so I'm like, tell me, what's going on? And she's like, I don't know. I just know I feel gutty. And she asked me that, and I'm like, I don't know either. It just, it's, it's there. What do you do with that? What do you do with that experience that seems to be um, extrapolated in our life, in our hearts, in our minds around the holiday season? In the 1600s, there was an English Puritan named Jeremiah Burroughs who was asking the same question. He assessed that if there was one thing that Christians should be fighting to hold on to with everything they have in their relationship with Jesus, if there's one thing that you should be always looking for and always asking yourself about, it's contentment. Are you content? 
Are you good with the lot that you have? Is your life okay because Jesus has made it how it is? The question that I asked myself in my most recent gutty experience, which I had in the last month, a little bit of a spiral, and just like panicked over really inconsequential things, to be honest, I finally, I went back to my little notebook that I don't take a whole lot of notes. I don't journal a lot, but I did have just in my notebook and, and I wrote, am I content? Am I content? Do I feel this way? Because I, I have this feeling of unf- unfulfillment and want in my life that's not being solved by so many different things. Am I content? And here's the thing about contentment. It's really tricky because when you get contentment, like it's gone in an instant. It's like a vapor. And for me, a lot of times, uh, and I talked about this at our young adult retreat last spring, I have this, like, just my eyes set on a thing. I'm like, okay, I feel this kind of desire. I feel this, uh, this feeling of want. And Cobra came out with a new golf driver, and the commercial was amazing, and Bryson DeChambeau hits 360-yard bombs. So I'm like, I need that Cobra driver. If I can get that driver, if I could just get it, if I can have it, then this feeling goes away. The problem is when I get that Cobra driver, I don't get any better at golf, and my contentment's robbed like that. And contentment is really, really tricky because it feels like as soon as you have it, it's gone, and it can be robbed by so many different things, and I think mostly for me it's that there, even subconsciously, like if someone was, was to ask me if I was feeling this way, I would probably say no. But subconsciously, there's something that I want that's not being fulfilled. It can be material. It can be just personal, spiritual. There's this feeling of wanting more and expecting sometimes more and not getting it. And so I'm left feeling kind of bad. Contentment can be robbed because your expectations weren't met. You know, we set these enormous expectations for our lives and for our holiday season, and we expect them to be perfect, and then they, they are not, and your contentment's gone. Sometimes contentment can be robbed just because you, you genu- genuinely have a string of bad things going on in your life. It's like, am I ever going to get out of this storm? Like, Ever. When I want something, it draws me and it woos me. And I love the Lord of the Rings, and it's like the ring. Like, it's this thing that just calls your name. And you think that when you get it, you know, when you get it, you're going to solve this magical hole in your heart that's going to make you feel good. But any person who ever got the ring, it destroyed them. Because the satisfaction that they were looking for was not in the power of the ring. And it's the same with how I look to other things that woo me and draw me in. Being satisfied is not in the power of that thing that I can get. It's not in when I try to find contentment in stuff. It destroys me, and that's just how it is. So let's look into, listen to how Jeremiah Burroughs describes contentment. This is what he wrote in the 1600s. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Now that's a lot. 
and I'm going to get you the notes so you can check it out on our Facebook uh, later today. But Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I just want to take a second to break this down, what Burroughs is saying about Christian contentment. It's this, that to be content, it means that you have a gracious frame of spirit that's quiet. It's that inward, everything else outside of you can be chaotic and hectic and not living up to what you want it to live up to, but the foundation of your inward being is quiet and at rest. And so the waves can be crashing around you, and you can kind of be like Jesus, where he's just asleep in the boat. That's contentment, that no matter what's going on around you, your inward being is quieted and at rest. And then he goes one step further. He says that you freely submit to and delight in God's wise and fatherly disposal. So what does that mean? Christian contentment is that you have an inward being that's quieted and at rest, and you trust that God has it all under control. You trust that God has it all under control and you don't have to worry. The pressure's off because God has it under control. And then he goes one step further, which is really important, in every condition. Not when things are just going great, but no matter what's going on around you, no matter what life throws at you, you're steady. So that's what Christian contentment is. That no matter what's going on in your life, you have a steady foundation that trusts God in every situation. Now that's a great quote, right? It's a great description. How, how do you get that? You know, sounds amazing. I want that, but if, I, if I'm being honest and I look back and I say, okay, these things are happening in my life, I'm panicking. Is that how my life's marked? Or was it? I'm not sure. And so I want to help us get there. And so actually, the next three times I preach, um, today and then in January and February, we're going to be doing a case study on Paul um, in the book of Philippians and how he had contentment at the forefront of his mind even though things weren't going so great. So a couple things about Paul and his letter to the Philippians. He wrote this letter while he was in, in jail in Rome. And while he was in jail... Just amazing things happen. I mean, like jailers were being converted and everyone in jail was being converted. And, and Paul was able to write from chains that he had a contented heart. That no, even though he was probably going to pretty soon, I mean, he knows that in the next few years, the way his life's going, you know, death is imminent. The Roman government's trying to get rid of him. But he was still able to say that he was content. And why was that? It's because, according to Paul, contentment was a heart that's completely satisfied in Jesus. That to have the steady, quiet, gracious frame of spirit in all situations is possible if you are satisfied completely in the presence of God. And so we're going to look at our case study today, and we're going to look at Philippians 4, 11 through 13. So let's go ahead and go to the Word. 
you can turn uh, to Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I'm going to go ahead and read that. This is what Paul says. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So this morning, we're just going to talk about the very first aspect of finding contentment. And this is, to me, this is the, the piece of contentment that really, really helped me in the last month. The first piece of finding contentment is that finding contentment is a process. Finding contentment is a process. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11. I have learned in every situation to be content. I have learned. So Paul wrote the book of Philippians in the year 62 AD, around there, you know, give or take. He became a Christian around the year 32 AD. So he's writing the book of Philippians 30 years after he, he had experienced Jesus and literally threw away his entire life to go on mission for God. So it's 30 years after he becomes a Christian, and it's, it's only until 30 years later that Paul first pens, or, you know, papyruses, that he is able to be content because it took him 30 years. 30. I turned 30 in five days. So my entire life, it took him to learn and unlearn and relearn contentment. And my encouragement this morning is to not be discouraged if you don't feel content because contentment is a process. And it's really good that contentment is a process because it means that you are able to learn it. And the truth is, is that contentment doesn't come naturally. It's not, it's not what I do naturally. I naturally see a, a commercial that enamors me and I need it. I gotta have it. It's amazing. It's not, I don't look at a commercial naturally and go, ah, that thing, no, don't want it. No, I'm, I'm enamored because I'm not naturally content. I'm not naturally drawn towards content. I'm naturally drawn towards wanting and wanting more and thinking that if I can just get enough security, then contentment's going to come. What happened to Paul? Paul had to learn it. He had to go through the process of contentment education. And what's amazing about contentment education is you don't actually have to sit into a classroom. You just have to live your life with this perspective that God is in control and he's going to take care of you. And the fact that Paul had to learn contentment means... Now this is the missionary, right? And Paul had to learn how to be content. He didn't just have it. And that means that contentment is a virtue that you have to develop. And you have to feed and you have to continually train. Because if you don't train that part of your mind and your soul that to be content needs to be learned, 
It's going to be there one day, and you're going to look back in five years, and you're going to say, man, I remember when I was content, but I just, I'm not there anymore. Because virtues that aren't natural to, to the humans have to be trained over and over again. And so I started CrossFitting two years ago, and I played college sports, and I thought that I could just be in a gym by myself and like lift weights, and I would just get that same uh, training that I got as like an 18 to 22-year-old, and then I turned like 27, and I was like, I have no motivation. So I would go into the gym, I would stretch for a little bit, I would do a, like maybe five sets of something and be like, you know what, I'm good, and I would just leave. So I just, I had some friends who did CrossFit, and they're like, you should try it because there's a great community. And so I did it, and I started to do it, and I'm so drawn to people and community that it just, I got hooked, and I just loved how I was able to kind of feel like that college athlete again. But there's this movement in CrossFit, it's called a double under. And what you're supposed to do is, you're supposed to jump rope twice every time that you jump. So the jump rope has to go over your head and over your head again in one jump, right? Now, my vertical is like credit card. So being able to jump rope once was kind of difficult for me. I'm like, I remember being in elementary school, like jump roping was easy. What happened? Why is it so hard? And so I was really bad. And every time there was double unders in a workout, I'd be, I was just like, man, really? Again, I have to do this again? But I decided, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice because this is not a natural movement for me. After two years, two years and a, a lot of frustration, I was actually able to start getting some double unders. I got the proper jump rope for me and the right size. And just like two months ago, I put 20 double unders in a row together. Now, I was bad at double unders, like bad. Like people would watch me to say, don't do that. That was how you train to do double unders. Watch Alex do the opposite of him. But after two years, I was finally able to start doing these. And it made sense. I was trained. And this is how we're supposed to train the unnatural virtues in our lives, like contentment. Don't throw the rope away. Trust the process that you can learn, just like Paul, how to be content. And that's really good news that you can learn because if you're discontent this morning, there's hope. You have time. So get this. We have a dog. Her name's Penny. Now, she's not super old, but she's stubborn and trained in her ways and we were going to train her like really well. We were like, we are every day, we're going to make sure that she does all the things to be a good trained dog. And truthfully, we stopped training her after she learned how to sit and go to the bathroom outside. And really go to the bathroom like nine out of ten times outside. It's like, that's all, and that's good enough for me. But recently, we decided to train her how to stay and wait for her food. Like, all right, the bowl's right here. Stay. All right, now come get it. And now she does this. And she like, she slips on the hardwood floor and runs to her food, but she stays. She's learning. And what does that have to do with contentment? I learned that you can teach old dogs new tricks. So you have time to learn contentment. You're not a hopeless contentment dropout. Don't drop out of the education. So in what ways did Paul learn how to be content? And there's two ways this morning. Number one, Paul was brought low. This is what he says. I have learned how to be content. I know how to be brought low. 
How was Paul brought low? A couple ways. First, he was imprisoned a lot. I mean, thrown in jail a lot. And in the beginning of the book of Philippians, he actually says that he has ministers who worked to afflict him while in prison. So Christians were trying to make Paul's life harder while he was in Christians. I mean, that's it's not a very good feeling. If someone is mean to me, I like have a full existential crisis. I don't know if you're that way, but that's how I am. Paul's in jail and he has Christians who are trying to make it hard on him. That would be really hard. He was also given a thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians 12 through 7. But I want to just read this list really quick of what happened to him in er- early on in his ministry. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 11. Five times I received the hands of, uh, I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, which I'm afraid of rivers personally. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. His own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardships, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Paul was an expert in being brought low an expert. He had been brought low in all situations in his life. And what did he do? How does being brought low teach you contentment? How does God teach you contentment by being brought low? We follow the model of Paul, which is allowing your low situation to draw near, to draw you near to his presence. All throughout his 13 letters, Paul writes about his lowly situations as good and beneficial for the strengthening of his faith. And somehow, you've got to get this, somehow in God's economy, the way that he works in the countercultural kingdom, that going through hard seasons is beneficial for you. It's good for you. Listen to what Paul writes about his low situation in 2 Corinthians 1, 9. This is what he says. So he's already been crushed. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. I mean, but that was, the reason that happened, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I mean, what a perspective about a lowly situation. Paul clarifies how God taught him contentment by being brought low. He says, the hardship that we have gone through that almost felt like death is to make us rely not on ourselves, but to make us rely on God who raises the dead. The reason you go through lowly situations is because you're meant to rely on God. And that can be anything. And we're talking about holiday season. If your expectations were shattered, it's meant to make you rely on God more. God teaches contentment in the low places by showing you that you're completely dependent on Him. You can't be content by yourself. And Paul learned in the lowly places 
And it's really important that he says, I now know how to be brought low. There was a time where he didn't. But it, it took 30 years for him to now know how to be brought low. He was taught con- contentment in the lowly places, but really interesting, I mean, really interesting, point two, the other way that Paul learns to be content is that he was also content when he had plenty. And he was taught contentment when he had plenty. Let's listen to what he says here. I know how to be brought low, but I also know how to abound. I found it really strange that Paul said that he had to learn how to face plenty. He had to learn how to face plenty. And what does he mean by that? It's almost like having plenty can oppose contentment just like having nothing. It's that Paul is saying that if you have a lot, and some of us do, and some of us always will, if you have a lot, you have to abound well. That if you have plenty and you don't do well with your plenty, you will be just as discontent as though you had nothing. If we look earlier in the verse, Paul said that I have to learn how to abound. This is what he's saying. I had to learn how to do it. As though abounding is also a learned practice. You have to go to having plenty education. You have to go to having plenty college. I mean, what does it mean to have plenty? How can I do that correctly? How can I be discontent when I have everything that I thought I've ever wanted? How did Paul learn contentment by abounding? Well, he recognized that what he had, anything that he had that was good, was a gift from God. The way that he talks about his salvation, which happens in Acts 9, every time he talks about it, it's the gift of God. At the end of Romans, he names 30 plus names of people in ministry that have helped him. And the way that he talks about these people is gifts that God has given him. How does God teach you to be content by letting you abound? If you have plenty, how does he teach you contentment? By knowing that every good thing that you have is a free gift given to you from the Father of lights. And if we look at the Burroughs quote, submitting freely to God's disposition in every circumstance, every circumstance, it might be more difficult in the plenty than when you're in the want. Because if you have plenty, the tendency is to believe that you did that. That it was you that did that. And if you did that, then you don't have to submit to God with your plenty because you can just do it again. But how to find contentment, how to learn contentment when you have a lot is to remember that you only have a lot because God has let you have a lot. And that's the only reason. Charles Spurgeon says this, We are full and we forget God. Satisfied with earth, we are content to do without heaven. Contentment in the plenty is just as unnatural as it is to be content in the little. And yet, I mean, I coach basketball, and one thing that we've said quite often is the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. 
So if you think contentment comes if you have a lot, it's not greener over there. And if you have a lot and you think contentment is you just get rid of everything, it's not greener over there either. You can have completely opposite amount of material possessions and you can be just as discontent. Because a content heart is one that is fully satisfied in God. So how do you abound well? If you have plenty, how do you do it well? It looks like a life full of gratitude for what God has gifted you. You don't take the credit and you don't boast. You recognize that God can give you gifts and in His gifts you can have a quiet frame of spirit because even in the plenty, your contentment is not contingent on what you have but on who you have. And if you have Christ... If you have Christ, you can have nothing and you can have plenty and you can be content because your contentment is your soul fully satisfied in who God is. And in Christ, your contentment is secure. And that's the point of Paul's entire life, that his contentment is secure in Christ, nothing else. You can throw me in jail, good. I'm just going to evangelize everyone. You can kill me, good. I get to be with God. All right, you can let me live, good. I guess I get to be just like Christ. Because it didn't matter what his situation was. His contentment was secure in Christ. And so I just have a couple practical thoughts for today and then we'll be done. The practical thought for today is that God is using every circumstance of your life to teach you how to be content. Every circumstance is your contentment education. There is not one thing wasted. Not one. He lets you be brought low to teach you dependency. And sometimes he allows you to have a lot to teach you contentment. And so the question this morning is, is it possible that your circumstance is a way of God teaching you to be more dependent on him? And that's the question that you should be asking yourself Why am I going through this if you're going through a low place? And if you abound, you should be asking, God, why have you given me this? And he's going to teach you. So whether you're in a low state or in plenty, consider asking God that question. What are you going to teach me, God? And the music team can come up. But the goal for 2022... The goal for Christmas 2022, 364 days from now, the goal is that your Christmas would be not full of expectations that are shattered, but will be full of contentment because no matter what happens at the holidays, if all of your plans go south, it doesn't rattle your contentment because your contentment is in Christ. And the whole next year, A whole year of life lessons teaching you how to be content. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.